You're listening to episode 152 of The Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Why, hello there, old chums. It's your good friend 1966 Batman here. Guess what? It's my birthday. It's your birthday, but you don't know who you are? Well, what are you talking about? He's 1966 Batman. I said exactly who I am, old chum. <laughs> oh, I thought you said I thought you, I thought you said I'm Nightwing. Oh, I'm Batman. That's what I heard. <laughs> no, I uh, I took my bat <laughs> I took my bat pills this morning, so I have none of that. Your bat pills? <laughs> none of what? Oh, the erectile da, da, da. dysfunction? No, I do have that. I am quite old, old chum. <laughs> so well, you're you're the old chum. Hey friends. Hey That's friends. Right. I'm Christian Bale, Batman. It's also oh. my birthday. Oh, hello, old chum. I came in through the skylight because I'm I Batman. Can't do that. Batman I can't do that anymore. My legs don't work. Old chum, are you wearing hockey pads? <laughs> Never. But I do have problems with people stabbing me. Maybe you should wear hockey pads, old chum. I got a pair of bat ones right here. All right. Uh, well. Oh, Black Man is here too. It's <laughs> <laughs> 1966 Batman. Wonderful. Uh, as Phil alluded to, it is Batman's birthday. Or I guess it's Batman Day, not necessarily Batman's birthday. We get two a year. So Batman's one of those rich kids who gets a half birthday too, huh? How do you know I was rich? I know things. I'm not rich like that that rich guy, Bruce Wayne. He's a real (laughs) handsome rich guy. (laughs) Yes, uh, Bruce Wayne and I happen to be old chums. If you say chum one more time. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, (laughs) welcome to the Comics Pals. We're happy to have you back another week. I have to do this show with uh, people who do bad voice impressions. Yeah, uh, Phil. Come on. Yeah, Phil. <laughs> yeah, I really shouldn't do him, but it's cool that 1966 Batman's here. Oh, God. Uh, we've got a lot of things to talk about today. Before we get into all of it, I want to let you guys know where you can find us. We're the Comics Pals all over the internet. The Comics Pals, wherever your social media is sold. If you want to catch us on a different podcast hosting platform, you can do so by looking us up. We're probably there. If you just type in the Comics Pals, most likely you will find us. If you don't, let us know and we can get on there for you. You can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. We've actually got some r- listener mail today to read, which is always exciting for us. So if you want to add to that, add to our excitement you can hit us up at thecomicspals at gmail.com. Uh, and while you're doing those things, wherever it is that you are engaging with us, make sure that you leave us a like. Make sure that you leave us a comment. Uh, share our podcast with your friends. You know, Recommend us, rate us, all that good stuff. It's all free to do, and it helps us out a lot more than it costs you. So if you are a Comics Pals loyalist, then... Uh, Hook we us up. See, we want to see your reviews on iTunes. Yes, absolutely. If you review us on iTunes, we will shout you out on the air. So if that's incentive to you, maybe that's not incentive to you. Maybe you'd rather not be shouted out. But we're going to do <laughs> you, it anyway. You, you don't want us to know anything about you. Yeah. 
Maybe uh, you have an alter ego and you'd rather not draw attention to yourself. Who would do such a thing? <laughs> do you mind? <laughs> Go glower in the corner. I know it's your birthday. Okay. Did anyone give me cake? Oh, God. <laughs> so, on this holiest of days, Batman Day, uh, today's a day of reflection. It really is. Uh, they're actually going to be lighting up the bat signal all across the world. Literally. Various places across the world will have a, a gathering uh, at 8 p.m. local time to see the bat signal. So, uh, for example, in L.A., you can go to City Hall and they'll have it uh, up um, in New York. The well, the um, Empire State Building will have their own lights. But also, if you go to the Domino Sugar Refinery, you can see the bat signal there. Oh. Uh, yeah. If you're in London, you can see it at the Senate House. Uh, if you're in Johannesburg and you're celebrating Batman, you can see it at the Leonardo Building. But if you're listening to this podcast, you can't see it at all because it's not Batman Day anymore. It's always Batman Day. <laughs> I want to try to go. I want to try to go to the sugar refinery to see that. If you decide to go with me, old chums, you can dance the bat to see. So tired of that. <laughs> You're doing a dance on a audio platform. Stop it. Well, Doesn't chum, translate. What podcast is. Is that like radio? <laughs> yes, it's like radio. So stop Ugh. dancing. You can find me over at New York City dancing the night away. All right. Wonderful. Anyway, I want to talk about the state of Batman. Because Batman has always been a beloved character. But on film, you know, I think the majority opinion is that he's been in a bit of a slump. For the last almost, well, like what? The last seven years? Uh, maybe longer if you didn't like The Dark Knight Rises. And obviously, the comics, you know, Tom King's run is, you know, uh, hit or miss, I guess you could say. And <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's no Batman animated series on the air right now. I don't think so. so. Yeah, I don't. I don't think so. So, what do you guys think changed? Why do you guys think that that things are a little different now with Batman as far as um, the way that he's been received over the last almost decade? And what do you think it's going to take to bring him back to prominence? A good movie. Yeah, I honestly think that's the biggest thing is I think that the last few, you know, major attempts at popular relevance for Batman have been a little soft, you know? Um, and, I, and I think that's, you know, obviously there are some people that like, you know, that stuff across the board, but I think the general opinion is that there really hasn't been a universally acclaimed, like, piece of Batman media in my mind since, 
you know... Justice League. You're right, Pete. Release the Snyder <laughs> Cut. Jesus. Yeah, of course. Well, see, that's the problem. We don't have the Snyder Cut. If we had it, then that would be a different story, but... Um, but no, I mean, you know, I think to Sean's point, it's probably the Dark Knight, and and then if you want to like look at video games, I guess Arkham City, because even Arkham Knight was like a little hit or miss depending on who you ask. So I, I I think that in general the brand is only as strong as it is still because Batman is such a like almost ubiquitously popular character. Yeah. But like, yeah. ge- it generally, I think a lot of it has been driven by just like riding on the the wave that has been the last few decades of batman media which was like littered with good stuff so it's a brand that can kind of take a hit but it i i I agree with phil i think it needs another big hit movie or or a video game or a new run that really excites people like it needs something to get the train rolling again people were saying this before after batman and robin or even batman forever you know is this franchise dead and the truth was, it was in hibernation. It needed mm-hmm. a shot in the arm. And Batman Begins was the beginning of that shot in the arm. And then when they went back for the follow-up appointment, the world went crazy for Batman. Yeah, and, and, and I think one of the other things is that from a like mass media perspective, they've sort of been leaning into more of the Batman cast and less so Batman. Because obviously the overall understanding of like who Batman is is there and easily accessible people understand that it's in the zeitgeist but people have been more so into uh like harley quinn is obviously a thing right which is tangentially batman related the joker obviously within suicide pennywise. squad pennywise the the, the gotham you know titans it, all, all the all the media has been surrounding batman but it hasn't been directly focused on him <laughs> he said pennywise oh my you god ran I, meant, Marco. I meant penny uh no penny is it worth. pennyworth <laughs> Wait, is that the name of the show? Is the Pennyworth- name of the show is Pennyworth. Yeah. Is Pennyworth the name of the show? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Which I thought, which like, which was like weird to like to think about, considering like it's it's not even again a character who obviously is central, but like people don't know him outside of the ancillary the Batman character, or even in the comics. <laughs> I think I'm pretty sure that Alfred has appeared in every single thing that Batman has. Right, but like it's just like he's just there. He's not like a Robin who has like a story. He's not. He's just like a side character. He, he's he's almost like a like a Gordon where it's just like he's around and that's like I all you sort mean, of care for. Yeah, where it's like he's not he's not a character that I think like the average person is familiar with. You know, or cares like, about. Sure, like you're, even like your grandmother knows who Batman and Robin are, but they probably uh, don't know who not. Alfred is. You tell me your grandma's never heard of Batman. You showed her a picture of Batman, she wouldn't she be like in oh, South it's America, Batman. buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I also Yo, think is there of- a place on this list in South America? I don't think. Oh, Brazil, I think. Uh, hey, man, Batman's worldwide, dude. All right. What were you I, think, I think the other issue too is that lately a lot of the animated series have kind of been hit or miss, um, and yeah. they feel well, kind of. The bowl. But there was one after that called "Beware the Batman." Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's my point, and I think it came out during uh, the Dark Knight Rises if I'm not mistaken. Um, and I think I think one of the, the things is that 
DC right now seems to be sort of trying to branch out. Um, and I think I think the the success of the the CW shows, you know, whatever your mileage may vary, but I mean, you know, Arrow's on its eighth season and Flash is on its sixth. Mm. You know, the these shows are are giving uh, other characters to a chance to branch out. And from a business perspective, it makes sense, right? Because like, if you can see that you can capitalize on these other characters, which uh, didn't have the same visibility, but are still bringing in that like revenue, why even bother leaning on Batman concerning where the brand is? Yeah. The thing with Batman too is that, like, to the point I made before, right, about how Batman is still popular, like, you can make a few crappy Batman properties, they'll still make money, and then even if people are like, even if people got to a point where they were like, oh, this sucks, like, you know, I'm, I'm getting sick of it. If you put out something good, they'll come back. I was talking about it with a coworker today. Um, I think Batman has kind of reached James Bond status, where this is a, a coworker who obviously, he's in his 60s or 70s and doesn't really read comic books. And he's like, oh, you could do a whole scholarly essay about how much Batman's changed over the last 80 years. I'm like, I was thinking like, well, listen, there's probably a thousand of those, but it's cool. Um, <laughs> I think in the way that it's like James Bond knows that there's been so many people that have portrayed Batman that I think people just kind of w- willingly accept like oh this one was bad the next one might be good whatever I also don't think that like so Batman Superman right was a bad movie I think most people you know feel that way sure but also a lot of people that I talk to that have brought <clears throat> that movie up or we've had discussions about it don't have a problem with the Batman part of that movie. I, I've heard contrary. A lot of Batman fans are, are really mad about Ben Affleck or they're mad that he killed people. So I've definitely heard people upset about the Batman stuff and that. I think to show I don't think point, it though, was... I, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I think a lot of average viewers didn't have a problem with the cast in general, though. I don't think that... It, that Batman, even if it wasn't the best version of Batman, even if people weren't overwhelmingly in love, I don't think that that was a, a portrayal that would turn people off or sour them on the character. If they had a Batman movie loaded up that next year, it wouldn't have done one less dollar, I don't think, based on what happened in Batman Superman. Um, if the movie was good. Obviously, if it was bad, then word of mouth would get out. But just on its face, I think people who like Batman would go to see it no matter what happened in Batman Superman. Um, I just think that in general, uh, there hasn't been the push that I think that there was on the part of Warner Brothers, really, to do a lot with the character front side, you know? Uh, Comics, obviously, Batman is all over the place, but um, I'd like to see a resurgence. I don't know. I'm I'm ready for a new movie. I'm ready for Batman to take center stage again. Do you think that movie is called Batman Resurgence? Do, do you think that hesitation is from uh, like a sales perspective? No, I think Batman is a character that DC, Warner Brothers, AT and T, whatever they know that at any point in time they can trot him out and they can push for that billion. I think why they haven't is partially because of the fact that things have been rushed in the film world. And, you know, we know, we talk about this all the time. It takes 
many years to get these things off the ground. By the time we even hear about it, it's already been in the works. So uh, they made a bad bet with putting Batman in BVS. That wasn't the original plan. Uh, They pivoted because they felt they had to. And the Matt Reeves Batman was originally supposed to be the Ben Affleck Batman, directed you know, by Ben Affleck. It would have been out, I believe, next year or, or some some to- nearby timeline, right? Uh, so things got screwed up. Sure. And it, it's, it has more to do with general mismanagement than I think uh, trepidation. Yeah, I totally agree. So... I, so I do, I... Not to sort of pile on to my own point but i do also think they've been trying to do stuff with other characters i mean you know even just trying to get the justice league off the ground mm. you know wonder woman is something they're trying to capitalize on yeah yeah you're definitely right about that because they took a they took a route of hey let's establish these uh let's establish these characters as solos to build up characters that people aren't as familiar with so we can pull back. We don't necessarily have to have a Batman movie ready to go after Man of Steel. We can do BVS. We can do uh, Wonder Woman. We can do Justice League. And then we can roll out The Flash, Cyborg, and Batman alongside that to build them up as equals. That didn't work. But um, obviously Wonder Woman was a success, right? And Aquaman worked out. So... Uh, do they need a Batman movie right now? I think they do, but I don't think that's because um, I don't think that's because they need to pull the trigger financially. I think a Batman movie make put brings everything full circle. A Batman movie that's good means that I have confidence in the film universe. I have a new theory. Okay. I think that. Sony took Batman back. Back. That's right. You heard me. Uh huh. <laughs> I want them to take you back. <laughs> I want them to take you back to the insane asylum that you broke out of. I want you to you go say, back to Arkham. You say this now, but wait till the Batman Spider Man movie comes out. Dawn of Web Webheads. I don't know. It's okay. a webcomic. Dawn of Webheads. High quality humor. Batman Thanks. Humor? Yeah. So, I okay, related to this, I, I have a question. Um, where do you sort of see Batman going in the future that would be good and interesting? Like, what what's really left to explore with the character do a detective movie dog sure yeah like a like a, yeah. like a true like crime noir mm-hmm. straight up like i am figuring out like a murder like something very on the street very super urban uh dark in the sense that it's aesthetically noir so we're getting that. That's what Matt Reeves' trilogy is going to be. As a result, I'm going to answer Kale's question in a different way because that would normally be the answer, I think. I feel 
that the most interesting thing about Batman that we haven't really approached much on screen is actually the supporting cast. Most of the movies have focused on how, what you know, on him and his world and his emotions and stuff like that. And I think it'd be interesting to start to bring more of those ancillary characters into the fold. Like we haven't, we had Robin twice, but that was trash, obviously, unless you count the original, original Batman movie. Um, we had Batgirl once, but that was also trash. Um, and we've only had one iteration of both characters, whereas there are several Robins that we could, you know, attempt. Batman has a son in the comics that could, you know, appear in a movie. And those characters existing open up so many doors. Think about the stories that become possible if Damien is a character, right? Mm. In fairness, we've had two different Robin iterations because James Blake was its own thing. Get get out of here. That's my Robin. That's not, no. (laughs) God, no. (laughs) No. Yeah, I I think to Sean's point, um, it's interesting because as many like Batman movies as we've done, I think there's actually a a lot of unmined and uncharted territory because a lot of the movies have kind of like gone back and done other things again. You know, like we have had multiple iterations of the Joker as well as Batman. So like there are a lot of rogues that we haven't really seen explored on the big screen. And I think like one thing that the DC universe, the current DC universe did that was fresh was kind of portraying Batman's physicality in a more comic booky way. Cause I feel like the earlier Batman movies, though they were like very comic-y, like, you know, the effects were not what they are now. Right. And in Nolan's trilogy, it was very grounded and was like, you know, Batman's just like fighting people. Right. But like, I think having a Batman that like has a lot more, gadgets and like you get into more of like the tech angle and stuff like that like that's a whole other uncharted thing that if it was done in a movie that was actually good could be interesting yeah so i i feel like batman is in a comfortable space in terms of them not needing to repeat any of the same beats on on screen and still being able to show us fresh stuff for I would say uh, several movies to come. And that makes me feel great because I want more Batman and I want more different Batman. So very excited for the future of that character. And happy Batman Day. We're going to talk about Batman a little more later. So, uh, you know, stay tuned for that. Uh, But we're going to move on now. Because we've got some listener mail. So this uh, email came from our pal Ryan, who's a regular writer-in of the show. Uh, Thanks for writing in again, Ryan. And uh, just a reminder, if you guys want to write in and get your thoughts right on the air, you can hit us up at thecomicspals at gmail.com. All right, so Ryan writes in and says, Hi, pals. I was just pondering a question you had posed on a recent episode. Whether Doomsday Clock is the best superhero story since Watchmen. You mentioned it would be fun to make a definitive list of the best post-Watchmen stories, and I hope you guys get around to doing that on a future episode. In the meantime, here's my quick take. First of all, in my opinion, Doomsday Clock is a pretty good story. But this statement comes with a caveat, because its release schedule really affected my enjoyment of the book. I'd have to wait until I could reread it in trade one day and give it a fair shake. But right now, I don't think I would put it among the best. Now, admittedly, there are probably a lot of great superhero stories I haven't read. 
Despite loving them, my collection consists of mostly creator-owned stuff. But of the modern superhero comics I've read, I'd probably put Morrison's Batman and Bendis' Daredevil among the best. I don't know if it's fair to compare an entire run to a limited series like Doomsday Clock, but there you go. I haven't read Morrison's entire Jell-A run, but the New World Order and Rock of Ages arcs also come to mind. I haven't read enough of it to say for sure, but I also think a lot of people would probably put, or would also put Kurt Busiek's Astro City up there as well. The confession yeah. arc is amazing, but I haven't read anything past that yet. I know you guys are all, all big fans of All-Star Superman, and I'm glad you enjoyed it. Despite being a huge Morrison fan, however, I wasn't really moved by it. I might try reading it again someday to see if I can get more out of it. Also, regarding Jonathan Hickman's X-Men stuff, I don't have an in-depth analysis to offer right now, but I really, really like it. Finally, I can't wait. Uh, I can't tell you how excited I am for NYCC. I look forward to seeing you guys there. What are you most looking forward to? Thanks for reading, as always. Sincerely, Ryan. I can for answer, writing I can answer that last question right off the bat. <laughs> uh, what am I looking forward to New York Comic Con? Uh, not being there. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> no, listen, you're going to be a surrogate. I'm going to have my iPhone strapped to my face, and that way you can see everything uh, through your computer. My God, I would love to do that to Kale one year. Get, like, an iPad and stick him on a stick and make him yeah. be there the whole time. <laughs> listen, that sounds like my ideal Comic-Con experience. <laughs> Actually, being there would be terrible. That would be then Kale's got, like, a map, and he's like, go here, take me here, I want to see this. <laughs> what if we had Phil stand in for Kale to do an interview, but on Phil's face is an oh my iPad God. <laughs> and Kale's interviewing whoever. I'm here for it. I would love that. Jordan just cover, cover Phil in a green screen curtain and just... Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you, you, said, you said it all, Ryan, and uh, we always appreciate when you write in uh, to tackle some of your points I think that when it comes to Doomsday Clock I can say that the schedule did affect my enjoyment of the book too with the most recent issue especially prior to that I was pretty okay with the weight but it started to get a little heavy when they switched to the bi-monthly schedule uh, or not, not so much when they switched to the bi-monthly but when the bi-monthly became every like two or three months that's when it got that's when it got tough um will that have any uh, uh, effect on how this book is is seen 10 years from now not even close i think 10 years from now five years from now people will forget that part they will remember the part where it's a great book rereads will take place etc etc uh of course there are so many other titles that belong in the conversation of best, you know, post-Watchmen superhero story. And that's a conversation, I think, for another day. But so much is made of how bad superhero comics are. And I think that it's easy to, you know, get on your soapbox about indie books or about whatever. But superhero comics have given us some of the most amazing work that has ever taken place in comics in general and that's really awesome because you know we all have some kind of affection for these characters and i want the stories to be great we all do so i look at the idea of doing something like that talking about what are the greatest superhero stories of all time not necessarily as an as an opportunity to be right 
but more as an opportunity to celebrate the great the great things that have come from that uh, genre of comic books. And uh, I'm excited to do that one day. So, uh, and then as far as NYCC goes, I'm excited for more information about what's happening in Dawn of X. Dawn of X is the overarching brand narrative that comes out post House and Powers. And there's going to be a panel there where we're going to learn more information. I'm pretty sure that the last issue of Powers drops that weekend. I think Um, you're right. So with that being said, we're going to get so much of that info. I plan to be at that panel. So you can check for my thoughts and the rest of the pal slots probably that weekend. So stay tuned. Yeah, uh, I think in terms of like looking forward to stuff, uh, for me, it's like the creators, the the people who make the things that we love, right? Like being able to just like chat with them and, and say what's up. We we have great relationships with a lot and, and it's always good to say, hey, see what's on their plate, see what they're reading, what they're picking up because obviously the things that influence, the things that influence us are probably the things that we should be picking up also. Sean, give the listeners a little taste. On your top 10 greatest post-Watchmen list, how high do the following books rank? Uh, James Robinson's Justice League Cry for Justice. <laughs> uh, that's actually number three. Okay, yeah, cool. Uh, and Heroes in Crisis? Uh, that's number seven. Oh, Civil War 2. Uh, seems low. That's actually number two. Oh, all right, there you go, guys. I won't say any more. That's a little gleam into Sean Bartley's top 10 best of your books post watching. That's right. That's great. Uh, so as for me, I think I'm, I'm most excited about, um, uh, similar to Marco, I love getting to get down in Artist Alley and do the interviews and stuff. That's like w- where we do the most of our work at NYCC, and that's always a really good time. Um, like Marco called out a bunch of uh, people we've – you know, become friendly with over the years are going to be there. So it's always nice catching up. And uh, I just love getting, being able to get together with everybody, you know, so like when we're, we're all going to crash it. Marco's apartment for the weekend. And, you know, it's it's always a good time. It's we, we get in a very like uh, summer camp kind of mode. And uh, it's 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 a lot of fun. And I'm just looking forward to uh, get together and making some videos. Yeah, I'm really excited about eating lasagna all weekend. Not looking forward to Monday. But most of all, I'm really excited about cosplaying as Garfield. All right. Fuck, Cody. <laughs> Whoa! Hey, that's how I feel. Well, thanks a lot, Ryan, for writing in. And uh, definitely look forward to seeing you too, man. We'll have to coordinate that meetup, make that happen. And, of course, anyone else who is in the you know tri-state area or is coming in for New York Comic Con from anywhere on Earth, uh, if you would like to meet up with us, Reach out if you see us. We wear the same shirts every time. Uh, they're you know they they have our faces on them, um, so we're very recognizable, and uh, we're very happy to say hello to anyone who would like to say hello to us. So, also uh, we'll have some stickers. So come get one. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so let's move on. Let's do the pals pulls, and uh, Marco, I'm going to start with you and. Uh, I actually want to get your 
experiences from last weekend as well while mm. we're in this segment because you did have you were you were absent from the show but you actually did something pretty cool so why don't you speak on that yeah so i went to uh bethesda in uh the dc area and it was the washington dc area the washington dc area yep um and i went to spx which is the small press expo um it's where a bunch of small publishers uh, a lot of indie publishers come they gather and they sort of sell sell their books they, they make a lot of connections and they sort of just talk about about the medium and it was a lot of fun to to go there uh i got to meet a lot of creators nathan fox who does the weatherman um henry barajas who is uh gonna be dropping a book with top cow and image uh i got to talk to a bunch of indie creators and it 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 was a place where I think for me, obviously being very much in that space and, and, and just loving where comics can go uh, outside of the mainstream and, and obviously not ever to bring that down because obviously that is where, you know, uh, a lot of the the visibility is for the medium. Um, but going there and seeing how, how it was thriving uh, specifically in, in spaces where you got to see a lot more uh, uh, Latinx creators, LGBTQ, uh, black, Asian, like trans, like everything, everything and anything was there. And, and it was really uh, inspiring to, to be able to see that, you know, in these places, there are these creators who are otherwise marginalized and maybe might not make it into the industry, but they're there doing their work, they're grinding, and they're really putting their heart and soul into this and and that is something for me that i i really care about is is being able to to help facilitate that growth wherever i can uh so being able to support creators who i've been following who like have a couple thousand followers or who are just kind of right doing their first sort of graphic novels and their first comics and being like yo this is dope stuff keep doing it just keep on that grind because this is where and 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 we've we've talked to a lot of creators here on the show where uh, it, this is the space where they start to make a name for themselves, maybe go jump ship onto uh, a Marvel DC and then pull away and go back into the indie space, right? Or, or even they find the, their own success here, like uh, Dirk Manning, friend of the show, Dirk Manning. He he made his entire, his bread and butter is horror in the indie space, right? Um, so being able to go there is, again, just super inspiring. And uh, I really recommend anybody who's looking to try something a little bit different, who's looking to see the form experimented with because i think that's the one thing that i i enjoy very much so is being able to see creators try different things where obviously you have that in in mainstream comics but i think less so and in less experimental forms because it's not palatable to uh for sales right so uh a lot of fun great lovable creators uh and books that you wouldn't otherwise find anywhere else any uh, standout stories from that weekend, Marco? Um, I got to meet. Oh, I got so there's this one guy who I kickstarted his. Uh, I helped kickstart his book uh, a couple years back. It only came out in the first issue, but he ended up blowing up. Um, <clears throat> and he is now with Ad House, which is a small press publisher. And uh, I got to finally get his full run as a full collected trade. And it's like, yo, dude, like this is. Uh, this is awesome. Like I, I, I loved your art. I love the stuff. Like when you know, you were just kind of grinding, and now you're just putting out really awesome stuff. And so kudos to that. Uh, definitely Nathan Fox, who is also part of the SVA, um, so the School of Visual Arts here in New York City. 
um, and he had brought along a bunch of students as well. So I got to talk to some of the students, people who have studied with um, Jim Rugg, Klaus Janssen, uh, got to talk to them about their experiences and sort of what they're doing and what they're trying to do with comics. Um, so those are definitely just standout moments. And even people who are just there to be like, yeah, I, I do this for fun. I, you know, I, I do this for fun. I put out work because I need to express myself creatively. Uh, and I'm like, that's awesome. Like you're, you're not in it for the fame or for, I was going to say money, but let's be honest. <laughs> um, but uh, just, just like, it's awesome to see that that creative outlet is being explored and they're just doing it there for passion. Was uh was that first guy? Was that uh, Matt Lesniewski? Yeah, 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 yeah. Ooh. Matt Lesniewski. Yeah, super, Sick. super cool. That's awesome, man. I'm really happy that you got that experience, and uh, I think that that space is, you know, count, not not counter, but in addition to what I said earlier uh, during when I was speaking on Ryan's email, I think that that space is just as important, if not more important, because that's sort of the 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 lifeblood of the industry, you know. Mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. The, those creators uh, who don't necessarily have a space otherwise. Those fans who you know resonate with that kind of work who don't necessarily have a space otherwise. You know, all of that is valid. And hey, there are people there who who may decide that they want to try reading something more mainstream, even if it is Image or maybe mm-hmm. it's Marvel or DC or whatever, you know. Um, or those creators maybe get a shot. So I think it's all valid and very important. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, meanwhile, you chose White Trees number two. As a yeah. Point. So this is a Chip Zdarsky jam uh, and Chris Anka. Uh, this is sort of, uh, we, in our Howard the Book Club, uh, Howard the Duck Book Club, sorry, uh, we sort of explored some of his, obviously, comedy, but we got to see a lot of his uh, emotional beats. And I, I know Phil's sp- spoken about uh, his current Daredevil run and how like you really get into like the essence of the character. So this is sort of another more personal uh, or more character driven story um, about a two warriors in this fantasy set- setting who have their child, uh, their children stolen uh, and they have to go sort of uh, find out who did it, where they are. It's uh, one of two issues. Um, this is the second one coming out and it's, uh, done with Chris Anka, who is a digital artist who's incredible. Um, he's known for a lot of his more NSFW and, and gay work, but it's the art is incredible. The story is really driving, uh, and I feel maybe personal to him because uh, I, I do believe, uh, I think he is, a, he is a son, right? No, I don't think so. I, no, I don't think so. No? I mean, I could, I could, I don't know the guy, but based on what i've seen on social media i, I don't think so hmm. well uh it's it's looking to be a, like a, a touching story so uh I, i've been enjoying it should i read it marco i think so yeah especially if you like this daredevil stuff i think so Dang, okay i was really interested in this when i saw the solicits for the first issue so the fact that you were really into it is uh that's appealing to me i think i'll have to try to snag both of these this week and uh give it a shot yeah can't believe it's only a two-parter that's interesting yeah, which is weird. So I'm kind of interested to see how it ends. And then you also chose Safe Sex, which is is actually finally being published. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was uh, the Vertigo thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this is the Vertigo thing that obviously, in light of everything that's sort of been happening with Vertigo, uh, it's kind of closing down. And so uh, they the creators jump ship to Image because they still um, want to put this out. And it's... Uh, 
I, I like the description because it's described as a book that reads a social thriller about sex, love, and torture that reads like sex criminals in Gilead crossed with Ocean's Eight with a Sunstone twist. Um, okay. So, yeah. <laughs> a, sun, a Sunstone twist. Does that mean they're into bondage too? Who knows? Uh, we'll I mean, see. I guess it must be right. Probably. Uh, so well, it's Marco's it's. Reading it, so. <laughs> Let me know, Marco. Yeah, yeah. I actually I got Sunstone and I got uh, Matt Hawkins' other book, um, Swing. So interested to dive into those. Whoa. All right. So uh, from Kale, we've got Kaiju Max season four. Scaly is the new black. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So longtime listeners will. Uh, well, no, this is the uh, the series I've been keeping up with about uh, uh, kaiju Godzilla-style monsters on an island that's basically uh, a prison. Um, it's basically Godzilla meets Oz. Um, I, I, I'm behind, so I don't know really what else to say about this. This is what I'm excited about. Um, it's a fucking great book. Uh, definitely go pick it up. Um... I don't know. That's it. Do, are, are there trades out for this? Yeah. Okay. That's what that's what these are. the The seasons are. are oh, the, uh, okay. The trades. Awesome. Is it true, Kill? Is is Scaly the new black? <laughs> well, he hasn't read it yet. Uh, he, hasn't, he doesn't know. I mean, my skin's pretty dry, so it's gotta be. <laughs> <laughs> Eczema is the new black. <laughs> uh, I think black is the new black. Honestly. <laughs> Uh, so I chose Criminal Number Eight. This book is really, really fire. Uh, Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips have been doing Criminal together for a long time now. Uh, if you're a regular comics reader, at some point you've seen it, heard it, you know something. It's it's very hard not to come across this in some form or fashion, even if it's just at your shop when you're browsing. This is. Maybe the best that Criminal has been. And every issue is riveting. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you like hard-boiled crime stories, if that that tickles your fancy, if you like broken characters who can't help themselves but to make the same mistakes over and over again until they die or go to prison, this is the story for you. Just tortured people doing their best to get by in life, but making the wrong decisions. That's all Criminal is about. That's all it's ever been about. And it's exactly what I want. And there is no better tag team telling stories of of that vein than those two. So um, very much in love with this story. And I uh, just wanted to call it out because it's been phenomenal. Sean, I made the mistake. I uh, I fell off it. Oh, man. You got to gotta get back on the horse. Yeah. It's really good. And then bondage from. And then all of us chose Powers of X5. You know, we're still loving where the story's going, and it's been great. So of course, every week we want more. And we'll be reviewing it. We'll be reviewing X5 in a bit. Yeah. One so sorry, one more weird thing. Heroes in Crisis, uh the hardcover comes out next week, so (laughs) if you give a shit There you fucking go. <laughs> Read it collected. It makes it makes way more sense. I'd be interested in that. 
I might have You're to. You're the pick only it up. one. <laughs> I'm not buying it. Uh, so, so we we talked earlier about Batman Day, and one of the things that is happening on Batman Day is that right here in New York City, aka Gotham City, uh, they're having a a, a panel at a uh, Barnes and Noble, which is pretty cool, um, and. We don't exactly know what's going to be announced at this event, but Bleeding Cool has a sneaking suspicion that they know the answer. Now, this is not confirmed, confirmed, but Bleeding Cool suggests that James Tinian is going to be announced at this event as the new writer on Batman, taking over from Tom King with issue 86. Are you sure that's not confirmed? I think Tinian's confirmed that. Has he? Um, as of, as of uh, this morning, he hasn't. Uh, he's He's been given congratulations, uh, but he hasn't confirmed it. His last tweet says uh, there might even be very big news at that event that you'll never see coming. It's kind of uh, the worst kept secret in comics, but no one has confirmed it because they're going to confirm it at the event. Huh? I thought I thought I'd seen that he he had confirmed it. Uh, if you find it, if you can find it, that's that that'd be great. But um, on Twitter and in my searches, I haven't found evidence of him confirming that. Um, but other comics pros have tweeted out congratulations towards him once Bleeding Cool started their thing, you know, reporting this, which was a couple of days ago. Um, and uh, but but DC and James, as far as I'm aware, have not come forward and specifically said that this was the case. Uh, Bleeding Cool says that he will be the writer only from 86 to 100, at oh. which point they're going to find a new uh, writer. And that the the remember how we said a few weeks ago there'd be a black Batman? Well apparently Luke Fox is going to be that individual. Luke Fox, of course, the son of uh, Lucius. And that that version of Batman will be the version that relaunches with a new number one um, in twenty twenty. And that Bendis allegedly turned down the offer to take over the book. We don't know who it will be at that point because James is only 86 to 100, but we don't know who will be number one on. Man, Tinian, uh, he always gets the short end of the stick, dude. Like, he's been hustling on Batman at DC for years and he always gets like the like side Batman stories or like the Dark Knight. He's never and and when you bring him in on Batman, it's always like like one of these things where he's just like, yeah, he's gonna finish off the story and then you know whatever. Oh, Sean, who's writing this book again? <laughs> who's what? taking over? James Tinian. Oh, oh, oh. that's really rude. Jesus, I'm just so yeah, tired man, like, all of a sudden. Are you <laughs> really dismissive right now? Huh? No, I'm just tired. I, I don't know why. Well, you can just take a, a, a 15 man. issue nap between Batman runs, like. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with what Marco's saying. James right? definitely is that guy for DC. But I would say that over the last couple years, that's been shifting. He did get 
um, Justice League Dark, mm-hmm. which has been pretty good. And yeah. then he had a run on Detective Comics, um, which was very well regarded. I didn't personally read it, but it was well regarded. Was that so, like New Fifty Two ish? No, it was post rebirth. No. Was it? Yeah. Oh, okay. I think he worked with uh, Sabella on it. Yeah, it that sounds oh. correct. Wasn't he on a New Fifty Two Detective? Or am I crazy? He might have been. I mean, on one you're of those. definitely no, crazy, but that might be New Fifty Two was. Um, I think that was Tony Daniel. Oh yes, yeah, you're oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, you're right. there was a Detective Comics run that was a weekly series that James Tinian was one of the contributors to. They did it twice. Ah, uh, okay. And uh, it was like a very long thing. Gotcha. Um, so like he definitely was involved, but I don't know. I I, w- I don't know that he was the only person involved. But uh, in any event, I I like his work. Something is killing the children is one of the best number ones I've ever read. Oh yeah, it, it's it's incredible, and he's getting a lot of good good press and good vibes for that. He's worked in the Batman family for a really long time. I mean, this guy studied under scott snyder in school literally scott snyder was his teacher and that's how he got into the industry and he has parlayed that into a real career for himself at dc and it's pretty incredible to watch i fucking i fucking went to comic book school and i went to the wrong goddamn one right so i'm excited for him uh i'm not like a massive fan of his writing, but I definitely believe he has chops. And if he does well enough on this 15 issue run, it could be something that maybe he's not the next writer on Batman uh, long term, but maybe he gets the slot after that. You know, who knows? And he's getting what? an event real soon, actually. They're, they're giving him an event. So, ah. yeah. It, it could have also been Bendis. So, good point taken. <laughs> just before we switch gears here isn't luke fox batwing or luke was that... fox was batwing yeah that that was pre-52 canon though right no so uh pre-52 there was a different person who was uh batwing so Batman Inc., right? Batman was yeah. like, oh, we're going to have Batmans everywhere. Right. The African Batman was Batwing. I thought, for whatever reason, that guy stopped and Luke Fox became Batwing. That's also true. I'm just saying, oh, okay. like, initially... Right, 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 right. Yeah. yeah. You're both right. Yeah. Um. So... I guess Luke Fox stepping into the role. I don't know how I feel about that. That's a conversation for another day. We already had it, actually. And uh, we'll see how that goes. But I'm looking forward to James to, to what James does with Batman. Um, mm-hmm. I'm ready for Tom's run to be over, quite frankly. So, Damn. I, I'm not going to lie. You know. like, I, just, I, just, I, I look forward to every issue, and I'm disappointed every single time. Wow. Okay. I'm so every mad time. he's getting the Phantasm. I'm so mad he's getting the Phantasm. Every time I see that cover, though, I'm like, oh, my God, I can't wait for this. I know, dude. I don't even give a shit about current Batman, and it makes me so excited. I'm so mad about it. 
dude but what a what a what a bone right like they 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 screw him they're like you're you're off batman we're done with that but then they're like all right but what do you want to do and he's like give me the mask of the phantasm and they're like all right you know damn you know what guys we're the real heroes in crisis (laughs) that's right damn you right that's a fact (laughs) so the next thing we're going to talk about is kind of weird, and it's something that I didn't know even existed until now, that it's over. Uh, so DC is going to be getting rid of a co-pay advertising program that they have with retailers. Now, what this is, it's, it's, it's been around for decades, and what it is, is it's a program that you can opt into where you say, basically... We're going to advertise our store and we're going to get DC to pay a certain amount, even at a certain point in time, all of the amount of the advertising fees. If oh. you you promote your store using DC apparel and comics and things like that, and it could be a variety of, of, of different sorts of ads, so you could advertise in a movie theater, you could advertise on television, you could advertise in comics, you could advertise wherever, and the, the cost of that ad, DC would pay a portion of, or the full amount at a certain point in time. And this was a very great way for comic book shops to get the word out about their store without having to, you know, plunk down that cash to do so. Now, this was not very well promoted by DC, unfortunately. And so it wasn't something that a ton of stores were taking advantage of. And that's probably why they're getting rid of it, because it wasn't, you know, something that was being done all over the place. But the problem is that there are stores who rely on this for getting the word out about themselves. And without being able to do that now, it may be critical for them. How long was this in effect for? Decades. Wow. Yep. Hmm. That 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 sucks to hear. Like to to think that we we regularly report on stores that close either locally uh, across the country, and 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 it sucks to think that one they could have been taken advantage of it, and then two that even that awareness piece wasn't wasn't there for people like us to be like, oh yo, are you in this program? Like tell us about that. Like that's cool, right? Um, and now to not even have the opportunity in light of this, uh, I wonder, I wonder also though, if it's maybe even outside and maybe it says in the article explicitly, but if the costs were maybe just not something that DC would or could maintain. So that's, that, that's what I was going to bring up. I, I wondered if it was, if maybe too many stores caught wind of it and now it's too expensive. Yeah. Why else discontinue it? So the Bleeding Cool article that we are referencing uh, says that there were two that that there weren't many uh, who were who were taking advantage of this, and they speculate that because of that, it probably was just a thing where they're like, "Well, why are we even doing this anymore?" Like, you know, yeah, that kind of thing. But I think what falls through the cracks is just what Marco said. You know, that there are stores that rely on it and 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 it helps a lot and we have all these stores closing they can't necessarily afford those ad dollars and this was a great thing that dc was doing but i think this speaks to potentially a larger issue because at&t 
has taken control of um, the, the whole merger with Warner Brothers. AT&T is the big dog now. And what I saw was that uh, what happens at DC Comics makes up less than 1% of the revenue of AT&T, which is extremely low. And so when you're looking at this and you're going, well, we don't make a ton of money off of them. Why are we letting them spend money on something like that? You know, I'm not saying that that's what happened. I'm just throwing that out there as a possibility because a suit who doesn't care about comic books or the industry wouldn't see or understand how this kind of thing could affect the the industry at large. That sounds really plausible, and AT&T is a juggernaut. So you look at the margins, and it's just like, oh, uh, this we could save, uh, we could save a fifth of a percent if we just get rid of this. Whatever. <laughs> Uh, hello, this is Bob Harris. We're doing what? Uh, no, we're trying to kill the comic book industry. Get rid of it. <laughs> wow. So, Wyatt. so, so I just looked at, I just looked at AT and T's market cap. Um, and to put it in perspective, that less than one percent is only about one hundred and thirty-eight million. Jesus. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's wild. Absolutely wild. Uh, I don't know what this necessarily signals, but I hope that those stores that will be affected find a way to persevere through this. And I hope that six months from now, we're not reporting on store closures, um, the sort the closure of stores that were actually affected by this. I don't know how big of a deal this is for those stores. I'm not, you know, I'm not a store owner, but it sounds like the kind of thing that could matter so absolutely yeah especially for like any small independent store that like isn't like a midtown let's say that has name recognition that way or or um i forget i think kelly you brought up something that was part of the midwest that was where you would get your books like the hastings like like stores that don't have that name recognition already um yeah you know yeah if you're on a a month-to-month shoestring kind of budget like any help helps yeah Mm -hmm. yeah I'd be really curious to have a, a sample size of some variety to uh, figure out how many comic book shops actually knew about this. I think that's a great question. I, like, I would imagine if nobody knew about it, it would have to be the ones in, like, the area of the offices, right? Like, so you well, have somebody... California now yeah yeah you're right i don't know i wonder if it's just the kind of thing that you only know about if you are the kind of person who's like a very savvy like business oriented person right because like i think it i think it could be akin to something like you know um if you go to college and you spend the time to look into grants and scholarships and all those things, you can save yourself a lot of fucking money. But if you're lazy, like I was, um, you just sign up and you do whatever the path of leaf, um, sorry, the path of least resistance is. And I wonder how many store owners just never bothered to look into like 
oh, like, what are the options that I have with DC, like, you know, to save money or whatever? Like, if it's not a thing that they're advertising well, like, how do you even hear about it, you know? I don't know, man. Marco didn't even know about it. Right. And Marco knows about this kind of shit. He's very savvy. So it's, like, the kind of thing where, like, I wonder if it is just the kind of thing that unless you were told about it or are the kind of anal retentive person to go and see how you can save every dollar you can to make your business more profitable or more successful. Like, yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, I hope to not have to talk about that again, but we may have to, because it may tie into some store closures in the future. But uh, for now we push forward. I hope if they, I hope if stores do close because of that, I hope they put them on blast. <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? Uh, so this is interesting. Black Widow is a movie that's coming out. We all know this. Oh yeah. Yeah. All right. Next time. Next time. Didn't she die? <laughs> and it's leading the charge of Phase Four of Marvel's films. That's what we know. That's what's a fact. What is rumor, and it's actually coming from Deadline, so, you know, no small potatoes there, uh, that Robert Downey Jr. will actually be appearing as Tony Stark in this film. Of course, this is the same Robert Downey Jr. who just said that he was done with Iron Man and done with Marvel and would not return to portray that character ever again. And has been actively trying to separate himself from that brand, assumedly so that he can continue his career and not be branded as Tony Stark. So he can be branded as Sherlock Holmes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, Sean, I Did have... ever finished that trilogy? What the fuck? Whatever, go ahead. He and I have a lot in common. We're both trying to leave, but we're coming back. <laughs> go ahead, Sean, Marco. I, I also have a fact and a rumor for you. Okay. Fact. Not interested in this movie. Okay. <laughs> Rumor, I hear it. I'm gonna have to watch it anyway. Well, so I can actually confirm the rumor for you because that's also a fact. Oh no! Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people are mad about this. It's weird. Why? It's, it's weird. It's weird considering that they're both dead. No, no they're one is dead. They're both dead. Yeah, they're both, they're both like, dead. Like they're one's like both uber dead. dead. That's my point. Uber dead. It's like, I don't care. Like, it has to be a flat. I I would rather be further back if they're going to do this kind of movie. But, like, they're not. They're doing it during the MCU timeline. It makes sense that characters from the MCU are going to be there. Like, I don't. Yeah, like, I I agree if that I would prefer it the the last time we saw him to have been his death. But, like, it's whatever at this point. Like, this movie's going to happen. Like, okay. See, I I don't I, like I don't care for it because we're we, we've moved past this. Like like the consequences have been, we've seen the consequences, right? Let me right. stew in those consequences. Oh, and you know this is gonna be a big Black Widow and Iron Man jerk off movie. Yep. Mm. Hang on. Yep. It's they're <laughs> dead. R.I.P. Now wait, what yeah. movie are you seeing, Kel? <laughs> uh, clearly a different one. <laughs> I, Murphy and I had arranged to um. To what? I'm sorry. <laughs> what now? What are, are you sure it wasn't called Iron Hard Man? Oh, that could right. be. Um, my point being, 
they're going to do absolutely everything they can to make sure that you know and you remember that Black Widow and Iron Man died. So, yeah, maybe that's that's, you know, there's there's a possibility of that. This movie is most likely going to take place between Civil War and uh, Infinity War. That's the current rumor, and I—I I mean, that makes sense mm. to me. I thought this Does was it? a, a pre-Black uh, Widow origin. Nope, definitely not. Oh. Wait, why? Because Tony and Black Widow didn't know each other prior to Iron Man Two, so it can't be that. Uh, well, I mean, listen—they'll fucking shoehorn in anything. We've already seen that. <laughs> All right, uh, and <laughs> the other rumor is that this movie is going to have major implications for Phase 4 and beyond. What? And it's hard for me to understand how that could be true. But that's the only way that I care about this movie. In 2020, I don't care about a Black Widow movie. I just Mm -hmm. don't. Mm -hmm. And it's only because she's dead. And it's because not only is she dead, but... We're moving on, like, it's exactly what Marco said. And so, unless there's some type of tether to now, what's the point? You missed the yeah. boat. Just leave it alone. The tether That's is, not the point of the story. Go ahead, the t- Marco. The tether is, spoiler, they die. That's how it affects Phase 4. They already dead. Right. It's going to be some scroll bullshit. Exactly. That's what no. I think. That's what oh, I think. Sigh. <laughs> you remember how Spider-Man was here ten minutes ago? Whoa, turns out he's a scroll. Whoa. <laughs> That's how they get Tom Tom Holland back in. Oh no no no, he's not playing Spider-Man. Scroller-Man. The Sony the Sony Spider-Man's a, scr- a scroll. That's that's right. I like that timeline. <laughs> Where did we land on which one of us is a scroll? Is it still Phil? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, just check. I think we're all scrolls. That's uh, no, a very me. scroll thing of you to Not say. Me. I wouldn't be a scroll. I I've been pretty clear and consistent the whole time, so I don't think I yeah, would be a scroll. Pete's definitely not a scroll, guys. <laughs> That's right. because you're both scrolls. <laughs> no, 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 no. No. I've played this game. I know how it goes. <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean, friend Sean? Designation friend Sean. <laughs> That's creepy. Don't do that. Uh, so Marvel Comics recently announced several new uh, one-shots that are coming up for 2099. Now... 2099 is making a splash. Obviously, this is a, a 90s thing. It's 80 years from now. Huh? Well, it's weird. It's weird that they're really pushing that marketing machine this far back. Yeah, it's, it's super <laughs> far in advance. <laughs> it's right around the corner. <laughs> I mean, it's 70 years. It's weird. You got to get us hype, man. I guess. I mean, I guess by then I might have money for a Marvel comic, but... I'll be like 125 years old. Man, I can't wait for the 2099 comic books. They're going to be dope. Uh, So they announced several one-shots. And somehow, I don't know how, 
this there's going to be a 2099 event and amazing spider-man 33 is where these things kick off can't say i understand how something happening in 2099 is going to be reflected in um amazing spider-man which takes place in today's time in superior spider-man 2099 was stuck here ah uh but that was the last i saw him i know there was a series fairly recently but i don't know where that left the character okay. he's gotta get back to the future <laughs> well actually joke. it's funny you say that pete because uh spider-man is getting a 2099 one shot and uh the small description that they give by the way written by nick spencer with art by Jose Carlos Silva. Uh, it says, The issue will follow Miguel O'Hara as he struggles to save the Marvel Universe from an uncertain future. He uh, he just had an ongoing by Peter David. Yeah. Yeah. That was uh, pretty good. I don't know if you guys read it. It's actually not bad. Did not. Did not. I'm glad you uh, did, though. That's kind of random for you. Oh, well, no, I don't think I've ever mentioned this, but the first series I ever read in my entire life was Peter David's ninety Spider-Man twenty ninety nine run. I think you have yeah. mentioned that. I know. Yeah. I know you're a big fan of him. Miguel O'Hara cool. is my favorite Spider-Man. Good choice. Wow. Good choice. That's a, that's like a true that. story. Uh, so also, there's going to be a Doom twenty ninety nine, which is with written by spikes. Chip Zdarsky with art yeah, by baby. Marco Castillo. Look at that cover, that man. Cool. <laughs> he looks like he looks like a villain that Kiss would fight. True. Uh, and then there's also Omega twenty ninety nine, which also has Doctor Doom on the cover. Uh, and this is by Nick Spencer with art by Gerardo Sandoval. Is that the, probably the event? Sorry. Is that the event? Well, they're all one shots, so. Oh, it's it's leading to an event. Yeah, like they're okay. all leading to something. And the, the solicit for that says, teases a future quote that ends here and is being run by Dr. Doom without any heroes to save it. Mm. So it looks like that one's about future Doom as well. I think I think him being on the cover was a pretty good hint at that. <laughs> uh, so there's also Ghost Rider 2099. This is being written by Ed Brisson with art by Damien Cusero, maybe. Uh, and the description is, in Ghost Rider 2099, we reimagine the origin of Ghost Rider that pays homage to the 90s series but still pushes the character in a new and exciting direction. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely <laughs> check out the art for this. This looks sick. His chainsaw arm is pretty sick. <laughs> yeah, and it's lit on fire. Oh man, um, I didn't know there was a Ghost Rider twenty ninety nine. So that's mm -hmm. cool. And then Venom twenty ninety nine, written by Jody Hauser, with art by Francesco Mobili, and I love this art. This looks really cool. Yeah. I think this is new, actually. I, I didn't. I'm not aware of a Venom 2099. No, no, he's been around forever. He has? Oh okay. yeah. Uh, as a kid, this was one of my favorite oh, uh, designs. Oh, oh my god! You know what? I do remember that with the the white face with the red eyes. Yeah. 
What's Jeez, his gimmick? Crazy looking. I don't. White remember. face, red eyes. Did you hear him? <laughs> what was his gimmick? He's just been alive for a long <laughs> He's time. He's just been alive. <laughs> Venom's been chilling. Did you guys ever? This is so random. Uh, did you guys ever watch the show called Spider Man Unlimited? Unlimited? Yeah, yes. baby, that's my favorite Spider Man. Really? I oh, love that yeah, show. Dude. The way, the show the way those so cool. spiders came out of his watch, made his costume. Oh, that has influenced every superhero thing I've ever done. Yeah, man. For those of you who are uninitiated, it's a loose sequel to the uh, more popular 90s Spider-Man television show where he has to go to space to, to follow uh, Venom and Carnage, I believe. Who have hijacked a uh, uh, a space you know endeavor that the, that the government's going on? You I know, think he has. Like, I, I think he has to rescue uh, Jameson Junior. Oh, yeah, his son, or yeah, the yeah, third yeah, or whatever. Yeah, and then they get lost. They get stuck on like an alt Earth where all the people are uh, animal people. They're all furries. Yeah. Yeah. And I, th- I, I don't know if this is true, but I feel like that was a – it was like getting Spider-Man 2099 without actually getting it. I always looked at it like that. Um, yeah. Pretty similar vibe for sure. Except he was like on an alien planet, right? So that was never a thing that Miguel yeah. O'Hara did. Right. Yeah, that, I love 2099 it. is uh, Miguel O'Hara's half-brother, and they hate each other, and Venom 29's whole gimmick is trying to torture Miguel O'Hara like emotionally. Mm. And like uh, hurt his loved ones. So this, uh, the more I think about it, the more I get why Phil likes, or why Phil became the man he became. Because the villain is his brother who tortures him. Check. Uh, it's about suffering. Check. And uh, like the big one of the big themes of twenty ninety nine is that corporations are evil. <laughs> so yeah, checks out. I like it. Damn. All right, so. We uh we're gonna jump into our reviews here. We're gonna actually start with the uh, Spider Man number one, written by J J Abrams and Son, with art by <laughs> Sarah Pacelli. Shit, that's what they should call themselves as a writing duo, Abrams and Son. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been a million times more interested in this for the jump. All right, so Marco has a hot take, and he has to leave. So I want you to go first and just get it all out. All right. So uh, I, I think the first move, like obviously I'm not a seasoned Spider-Man reader. I, I, I do know the, the general beats. I, I understand his relationship with Mary Jane. And, uh, and the very opening to me uh, kind of almost felt akin to like a fridging. And My dude. And, and That's I, exactly what it was. So that, and then also the fact that like this felt very much like a fanfic amateurish sort of approach yeah. to, to the character, where it's like, oh my my first thing is like shake things up and make you know X person angsty, and the the Spider Man's personality has changed because this has affected him X Y Z like so much and stuff like that. Um, it. I don't know. It was kind of like just I, I did I did not appreciate it. I, I I did not appreciate it. I it the the action was fine. This villain just comes out of nowhere, and we're supposed to. This is just the catalyst 
that is the now the story. I I, I don't know. It felt very um, kind of cheap and maybe lazy in, in its in that approach, and I did not appreciate that at all. And it just jumps twelve years. Um, his son. Spoilers. <laughs> Oh well, no, spoiler. well, well we're spoilers. No, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but like, yo, his son. Honestly, they're when they're having that exchange in the car, him and Peter. Uh, ben, Ben is the son. Uh, so Ben and Peter are having that exchange in the car. I'm like, man, it's some white people stuff. Like, I'm not interested in this thing. Like, they're just going back and forth. Like, I'm an angsty kid. <laughs> Daddy, you don't love me. <laughs> it's like, all right, Peter. Peter would obviously make time for his son. He's a loving person. Like, I understand enough of his character to be like, this isn't somebody who's being portrayed accurately, in my opinion. And uh, I don't know. It just felt like, but he's broken. Uh-huh, look at his yeah. look at his black hair. Yo, are you expecting to believe Using Spider Man 3? Aunt May's like, what, Yo. 104 in this? <laughs> Come on, bro. No, man. So say say she's 70 in the current canon. She's 82 now. All right. All right. I'll give you that. It's not yeah. unreasonable. That, I'll, I'll, I'll... It's the future. She's walking with a cane. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. They showed that time had passed. If if they had to me, if they had sort of opened up with a more like a more loving relationship, I think it would have benefited uh, the trajectory or what I feel might be the trajectory of Ben's character. In, in especially considering like you're trying to carry the Spider Man legacy, because um, that to me is the heart of Spider Man. Is very much like he is above and beyond he's responsible and this is not a responsible peter he's gotta have an arc here marco nah, he dude, has nah, to dude. be redeemed mm-hmm. nope that was my take it was hot not really not barely <laughs> yeah you gave, us, gonna, you gave us a lot to work with we're gonna say the exact same thing as soon as you leave <laughs> oh all right. i'm not so then, sure oh. i think there might be a conversation here all right Ooh. i'm interested to hear it while i edit <laughs> all right thanks buddy we'll see you, you actually buddy. <laughs> all right see you guys all right so marco left us with some pretty you know uh hot takes and i'm gonna disagree so at least not not fully but in part i think that look anytime that a superhero's spouse dies if the spouse is a woman people will say fridging that's just it's just what it is it's what's gonna happen and it was definitely shocking to see mary jane die because it's mary jane and i don't want to see mary jane die but that's how i feel emotionally because i love the character now the difference in my mind between when people you know cry fridging in other instances and this one is that this is not canon and so none of this matters it does not matter in any way what takes place here um so there's that but then there's also you know is it is it that someone's spouse can never die again is that is that a thing we can never do is that is that off the table i think that's a little ridiculous um and you know whether or not it's it was worth doing in this story will remain to be seen but it's consequence free so it really doesn't matter <clears throat> just to and I, I know i know you want to respond to that kale but just to build off that point i also think that 
the like the death is obviously there to be a catalyst for Peter, but I feel like it's also very like clearly the story's more about his son Ben. So like Ben having a parent die is literally, you know, that's Peter's origin too. Yeah. So I like I I, I think that I think that what you're saying there is accurate, Sean. I think there's a difference between fridging and killing someone's spouse for a relevant story reason. And <clears throat> the story that they seem interested in telling doesn't seem possible without Mary Jane dying. I think I think the the thing about fridging is that it's it's commonly used as a catalyst for male pain. And and I don't necessarily think it's only for female characters or spouses, but I think it's most mostly used for characters who are female. Because I think um, uh, in Earth 2, uh, the New 52 relaunch, I think Alan Todd's, no, Alan uh, Scott's spouse, who was male, uh, died in that. Um, so I think I think that's that's the the thing that is what fridging is about, and and that to me was all over this. Oh, Mary Jane's dead, so Peter's got man pain. Oh no, he can't raise his son. <clears throat> and and that's, that's the thing with a trope is that when it's done originally, it's when it's done originally, it's not a huge issue because it's it's a it's a it's a plot device that was done thoughtfully for the first time. When Gwen Stacy died, you know, people weren't crying fridging at the time because this was something that was kind of uh, this was new. Sure. But I'm reading this issue this morning and my first thought was when she died is this is a lazy plot device. And obviously, I don't know how the story's going to play out, but it doesn't matter. It was a hook that was meant to be like, this is shocking. This will pull the reader in. And as the story progressed, I don't have a lot of confidence because that being this catalyst for these two characters didn't progress in a way that I thought was very interesting at all. So that that I agree with. I, I, I don't... Um, again, we can have a whole conversation about fridging and when is it appropriate to kill someone's partner or whatever for motivation, whatever, right? Like, that aside, I agree that I don't think the execution is there enough for for it to, like, matter even, honestly. Like, having the debate, because what I didn't like is I... I the, the point that Marco laid out about, I know enough about Peter to know that he wouldn't do this, is, again, I think, with Sean's canon comment in mind is irrelevant you know like it almost doesn't matter if you believe that peter parker would or wouldn't react this way to her death right because that's an argument that can be made that well this is a different peter than we've known before so he did it in this universe fine but that being said like their whole exchange i was not believable to me that he would be so removed from his child's life, but then also have this attitude of, like, you just need to get in line and whatever. And, you know, like, it was, it just felt very, um, I, I, I don't know. Like, it, it, it didn't land for me. It's like a bad movie plot. Yeah, like, and it, it does feel like a bad movie plot because I think that, to Phil's point, 
it's so clear what the arc is from here, right? Like, his Ben is going to become Spider-Man, and then he's going to understand why Peter is the way that he is and why he's pulled away from him, and then his becoming Spider-Man will inspire Peter to be better, and they'll mend fences, and, you know, like, it, it, it feels like I can already know where the next few beats are going to go and the initial shock of Mary Jane dying and and then you having that moment of being like oh okay this isn't about what I thought it would be about I I think that's like about where the originality of this idea is going to get I think all this happened with uh Spider Girl when that comic was going uh in the 90s uh, oh, yeah. with with May May Mayday Parker when she became yeah. Spider Girl. I think she and Peter had a really uh tense relationship because he'd like I think he lost his leg. And didn't God, want her I haven't to be read Spider- these in like ten years, I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't want her to be Spider Man and then she That's definitely true. Figured out she had powers and she found Ben Riley's costume. So I, I agree that I don't feel like this was a particularly well-written book. And that is my biggest problem with it. I just think it was well-written. The the plot being kind of like, been here, done that. Look, you know, they say there's, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. I think at some point in time, we're going to have to stop saying like, oh, this is an original you know, it's all in the execution at the end of the day. Something is either good or it's not good. I'll read the same story over and over again if it's really good. We read superhero comics. That's literally what we do. Um, the story is just not particularly well written. You know, there are plenty of, of comics that are written better than this on the stands right now. And I don't necessarily think that it's going to stay that way. You know, there's always the potential for it to uh, improve. And I would love for that to be the case. But thus far, the things that we said we were like worried about are exactly what it is. Because yeah. I guarantee you that Henry wrote more of this than J.J. did, right? That that, that argument in the car felt like an argument between a... That, That's what I that was thinking. goes through a 20-year-old's head. Yeah. And, and if that's the case... It's really aggravating because, like, what I just said uh, about, you know, cliche story being what it is, the kid, if, I I don't know, I don't want to prejudge too harshly because this is just number one. I'm not necessarily convinced that Mary Jane is dead dead um, because this is, you know, these are the things that happen. Um there's a potential she could come back. I could see this villain resurrecting her or something like that. Um, and maybe there's more to this. But as it stands right now, this was the most paint-by-numbers issue of a comic that I maybe have ever read. And the fact that this is written, I believe, by someone who has no chops at all or business writing Spider-Man makes it Ten times more infuriating for me. What 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 about J.J. Abrams' writing makes you suggest that he could write an original Spider-Man story either, though? Because frankly, pretty much anything he's ever written has been derivative and un, like un, completely unoriginal. J.J. Abrams is a 
blockbuster writer sure. of blockbuster writers. And whether or not you like The Force Awakens, which obviously, you know, I'm sure many hands worked on that and whatnot. Uh, it was very well made and it was enjoyable. But uh, heavily criticized for being unoriginal and derivative. <laughs> I don't care if it's unoriginal or not if it's good. If 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 I like it, I don't care if it's unoriginal. But that's not yeah. Star Trek movies. That's Star not Trek Lost Alias. Like it's not it's it's not even that his stuff is unoriginal. And I I don't agree with that argument. I the point is he's got more chops than Henry Abrams, his twenty year old college yeah. age kid. Who, How are you going to discredit a guy who's been working in the industry for over like what twenty years? Comparing him to his son, who's the same age as J.J. Abrams was when he started doing this? Listen, I wasn't doing it in comparison to his son. I'm doing it uh, with his resume in front of me. And right, but that's I don't but care that's if he's been saying. doing it for 20 years or not. This is true of other people. Other people have done work for 20 years in major industries are similarly bad, even if they're a blockbuster success it doesn't matter the point you not though, the point though is you say hey jj abrams is writing a spider-man con all right fuck i'll give that, that a makes shot sense. henry abrams is writing a who the fuck is that like and like jj uh, abrams has chops I honestly think it would be different, too, if it was just Henry Abrams. Like, if he was writing it by himself and it was like, oh, J.J. Abrams' son is, like, super into comics and he is really good at writing, but you've never heard of him because he's only done independent projects or whatever, but he's got chops and the book came out and it was good, that would be a different story, too. But the fact that it is J.J. Abrams and his son are writing a book, a Spider-Man book, and... Like, it's clearly him backdooring, like, using his clout to get his son an opportunity to write comics because he likes comics. Didn't see this with Stephen King and his son. Right. No, because Joe is incredibly talented. Well, I I think... He he deliberately did not want that. He deliberately wanted to, to, you know, forge his own path. But for me, look, there's nothing wrong with... Taking an opportunity that is presented to you. If J.J. Abrams had an opportunity to write a Spider-Man story, and that's what was a that's how he was approached. Because I remember the story he said. He said that he was approached by uh, Nick Lowe, I believe it was, and they had this conversation, and he wanted to do this story, but it just never came about. And now he had the opportunity to work on it with his son, and that was the appealing factor of doing the thing. Okay, great. Henry Abrams gets a shot at telling a Spider-Man story. Fine. At the end of the day, this is not... the If this is the story he had in mind 10 years ago, there's no way that this was the dialogue he had in mind 10 years ago because it sucks. You know, just point blank. And if it was just J.J. Abrams and it was this bad still, I still respect it more because even if J.J. Abrams turns in a bad script, it's still J.J. Abrams. And I want to spend money to read what J.J. Abrams puts out, even if at the end of that journey, I don't like it. Uh, My favorite writer of all time could write something. Grant Morrison could write something that I think is bad, but it was still Grant Morrison. And I 
paid my money to to give him a chance. Henry Abrams, I don't care about this kid. I have no relationship to him at all. The way the way the Nicolo's uh, letter or whatever reads in the back of the issue. I don't know if you guys saw it. It makes it sound like he he got Abrams' email and harassed him for a while, and then J.J. Abrams finally came back. Out of who knows, ten years later, and and he said, "I got it," which says to me, J.J. Abrams walked by his son's desk at some point and saw some Spider-Man fan fiction and went, "I can sell that." Yeah, it, it, it's frustrating. It's definitely frustrating, and I didn't hate the book. I re- I really didn't. Like I sound upset. Um, I didn't hate the book. I thought it was fine. If it was done by just J.J. Abrams and this was what it was, um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't like it more. But I'd be less frustrated by it. And maybe that's a personal thing and has no bear. And I mean, ultimately, it is a personal thing. It has no bearing on you know the the, the quality of the book. But it does make me feel worse about it. So, how did you guys feel about the art? Yeah, uh, I thought this was the worst Sarah Pacelli's ever looked. I, I was going to say the same thing. Like, I really liked her on... Uh, she did Spider-Man, right? Yeah. As well as uh, Miles's origin and a few issues after that. Um, uh, and I think she did uh, Spider-Man when it was Miles on the main storyline, too, wasn't it? Yeah, with Bendis. Yeah. She, and that was all I mean that's all really good stuff so I think honestly that she was done no favors by the color uh, from Dave Stewart and uh, I don't know I mean she had an inking assistant uh, Elisabetta D'Amico and I don't know if maybe she was rushed with this project that she needed an inking assistant or because if it was just her inker, it would say inker, not inking assistant. So I'm assuming Sarah did a majority of the inking and needed help, or maybe she couldn't do the inking and she had a ghost inker. I don't know. All I know is that this doesn't even look like Sarah Pacelli artwork to me. Yeah. If, if you so. just showed me these pages without me knowing who it was, I wouldn't say her name. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like the, <clears throat> the first couple scenes, like on the bridge, there are moments where you're like okay like i can see like her style coming through but i i i I feel like it kind of gets like after the jump i feel like it gets a little bit uh, i i i don't even know how to describe it It, because it's like there are definitely angles there are moments where like i see the art i expect from her but it, I think rushed maybe is probably the right word because there are moments that feel a little bit just kind of sketchy, a little rough around the edges. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. Go ahead. We know she's capable of doing a lot more than that, you know? It makes me wonder what the turnaround time was for this book for her. Yeah. Because I thought it was kind of weird that she was even on it. Um. I'm not. Maybe I'm wrong, but I thought she was doing something monthly. So she was. She was on with uh, Dan Slott on Fantastic Four for a while. Yeah. So 
I, I, I think uh, it says that they stole her away from the Avengers comic to do this. So was she working on a, an Avengers run? Huh. That must have been unannounced then, because I, I didn't know about that. If she was, I don't recall. I'm behind on the main Avengers title. Yeah, that, so. That's just what that's what Nick wrote in his little yeah. web and words thing at the end. Yeah. She must have been she must have been gearing up for it or something, and they snagged her because it wouldn't be too uh too uh hurtful for the brand, I bet. So just point blank, um would you guys are do you care what happens after this not remotely no i didn't care before i read it (laughs) you got me there yeah you got me there yeah i mean yeah i was never like excited about this but when sean brought it up and said it was oh it was interesting i was willing to give it a shot um i kind of feel like i get where this is going and it's not anything that's super interesting to me yeah, uh, I kind of want to keep buying it just to see if <laughs> something changes, but that would be a waste of money, most likely. So I probably I respect your dedication. I know, yeah, I mean, like I just if there was one moment in this that spoke to me where I, where I could see a vision, I think I would be willing to see where it goes and and if you know it needs a few issues to get going, but I just eh. no. Sean, you mentioned that, uh, you know, in comics, there's a lot of things that aren't new under the sun. I know we read a book this week that is new under the sun. Well, some people would argue that that's not new either, but uh, Kale is, is uh, Kale. Phil is referring <laughs> to House of X number five, which I think we probably all enjoyed 100 times more yeah. than uh, this new Spider-Man. Um, can I can I jump in here before we shift gears just real quick? At the ooh, end, man, we already transitioned, bro. That was a really smooth transition. I okay. thought too. No, yeah, hey, you know what? Fair enough. <laughs> I was gonna bitch some more, but you're right. By yeah, all means, let's, let's be positive. Let's be positive. So, House of X Five is the issue that breaks the dam. This this it issue breaks turns, the dam. Hell yeah. The fucking crazy thing is, I feel Dumbest like we've had two or three been. issues like that already, where you're like, oh, this one blew everything wide open, and it's like, yeah, it happened again, somehow. <laughs> yeah. It also tells us uh, we are not on the 11th life, as we speculated two weeks ago. Well, no, no, no. We knew it would, this was the 10th life. Oh, fuck no, me. Cause... I'm going to have to pull this up. <laughs> We, we weren't we weren't sure because of House of X number four where they all die. We're like, oh, what does this mean? Oh, I see what you're saying. Well, yeah, I don't. <clears throat> Sean and I have been pretty aligned that this is the tenth life, mm-hmm. but we had the question of how could it be? Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, yeah. How yeah, yeah, how yeah. can okay. we yeah. move forward yeah, yeah. if this is ten? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So we we got our answer because in the mm-hmm. prior issue we saw, you know. A majority of the X-Men just die uh, on this mission to stop Nimrod from becoming a thing by destroying the um, the uh, Mother Mold. What's it called? Mother, Mother Mold. Mold. Yeah, Mother Mold. And so we actually learn about a very complex process that involves five of the most random mutants 
that you could ever imagine putting together uh, who use their powers together to actually create clones. Uh, way back in issue one, uh, we had speculated that they were clones. And as it turns out, not only was that correct, but the scene that we were seeing of Cyclops and Jean coming out of those pods was actually from this. This was that. So um, that's pretty cool that we do get that sort of callback. And now that makes a lot more sense because of this process. But what we learned is that gold balls of all people. <laughs> is the awesome. catalyst the worst character to come in my mind out of the Bendis regime uh, with the X-Men he, he he was okay but his powers are really stupid or at least you know the old version of they his were. powers um, fun, funny character but his powers were dumb uh, so we learned that his balls that he spawns out of you know <laughs> His is gold balls. <laughs> Guys, he has eggs. He's clearly a. No, I can't say What's that. What's up? Never mind. That's not, uh, <laughs> that's, not, that's not PC. I'm not going to say that. Boy, do I want to hear what you were about to say. So, my question is do we need to change his name to Gold Eggs now, or is he just sticking with balls? balls. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, Gold Balls balls are actually eggs. All right. Uh, Shut up. <laughs> Proteus can turn this egg that is, you know, not uh, livable, I guess, into a livable egg that something can come from. Uh, Elixir can, can start the process of life, can give life to this egg. Tempest can speed time up within the egg so that whatever's growing inside it can grow at a rapid pace. And finally, Hope can synchronize all of their powers and accelerate them and make them as powerful as they could possibly be to make this process uh, happen and happen as fast as they needed to. And so they resurrect all the X-Men that died in the prior issue. No, you're missing I... the final step. Oh, I'm sorry. What did I miss? When uh, Professor X uses Cerebro, Cerebro, uh, so we found out in this issue as well that Cerebro is not only being used to locate mutants, but also to kind of make um, like backup copies of their brains, of their of their consciousness, their souls. Yeah, their soul is actually how they they, they describe it, and uh, it's done once once a week. So once a yeah. week, Professor X basically backs up the cloud of every known mutant, uh, and then when they die, he's able to re-imprint their personalities, and, you know, ostensibly, they've only lost a few days. It's absolutely fascinating from a moral ambiguity standpoint, because you can't just discredit them as clones, as you phrased in the beginning, because a clone is like a genetic perfect copy of yourself, but with a in theory, a completely different personality, right? Because they don't have any of the memories or experiences that you, the original source, had. These mutants born from these eggs have all the memories of their of of the people who died on the mother mold. Because as Scott Summers puts it, he the first thing he says when 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 Xavier imprints his soul onto him is did we, you know, he, he said, did we fail, basically? He, He's like, did it work? Yeah. It's, that, it's truly wild. That doesn't make sense, though. 
Because if he if he does a backup weekly, how, how did he back up Cyclops if he was dead? No, well, he, no. So what what would happen is that the the say the last backup happened right before their mission. The Cyclops that wakes up would wake up knowing that they went on the mission and he died. Right. But he wouldn't know what happened. That's so, why he asked. Yeah, so right. he asks, did it work? Like, obviously I fucking died, so something went wrong or something went right. sideways. Did we pull it off? Right. So, yeah, so you he, he's losing probably it's, it's a, three, it's four a, days. It's but, a checkpoint in a video game. Yeah, yeah. It, it basically, yeah. Um, which is fascinating, and it also ties into the previous issue of Powers where we got the mm. whole thing with what was going on with yeah. Sinister and why Professor X needed that yeah. DNA database. Because yeah. originally I was thinking, oh, this is for the the future clones that we were aware of, where yeah. they're, they're, they're breeding mutants, but obviously it had a, a, another yeah. use as well here. Mm-hmm. One with yeah. far more interesting implications. Yeah, so that's that's pretty incredible. And that would be enough, but that's not the only thing we learn. We learn no. that Professor Xavier has the plan to resurrect every mutant that has ever died. Yeah. And if he succeeds at that, mutants will will be more will will outpopulate humans. In fact Wait, is that true? Yes. I thought- in fa- in, let me finish. In fact, in Dawn of X, in the solicitations for future X-Men issue, they literally say that mutants are the dominant species on Earth. Because, think about it, it's you're reviving hundreds of years of dead people, basically. Mm, so it's literally every mutant that's ever lived. I see. Yeah. Okay. okay. How, do, how do they have that DNA library, though? Probably Mr. Sinister, because he's been cataloging this shit for at least the, what, 1800s or whatever, right? He, yeah, he was doing this before Professor X told him to. The thing is that he had stopped. Right. He had yeah, decided yeah, yeah. it because, wasn't worth doing. Yeah. yeah, I do remember that. I do remember that. Okay, yeah. And then, obviously, they, they also made mention of them trying to figure out how to repower everyone who had been depowered in uh, House of M. That's still which, alive. Right. Which, obviously... That's like 16 million mutants right there. So, yeah, pretty wild. So, that's in, that's incredible. This and this I, issue. Yeah. Go ahead. No, go for it. <coughs> this issue has like such ominous overtones. It's like this this new chain. Thus spoke Zarathustra type thing, where it's like just he uh, Xavier. And Magneto become like the Ubermensch here, and they completely become gods of their own destiny. And that leads to the, you know, the the twist ending of the issue, which is insane and so well earned. Speak on it. Okay, I didn't know how. Yeah, so they invite into uh, uh, Krakakos or whatever. Krakoa. Krakoa. Thank you. Uh, they invite into Krakoa Apocalypse. Not just among him, him uh, among him, several other uh, uh, mutants that have been uh, thorns in the side of the X Men over the last few decades. You see Vulcan there. Um, it, uh, looks like Sauron's in the back. Uh, who else am I missing here, Sean? I mean, obviously, Mister Sinister. Well, yeah, uh, yeah. So there's a lot of people here. Uh, Mister Sinister's here. Randoms here. Um, 
Oh God, what's what's her name? Oh, so Jesus. I've I've they listed it in the Polygon article this week. So oh, in cool. The, on uh, page twenty-eight, the first one we've got Wildside, Random, Mister Sinister, Lady Mastermind, Mesmero, Super oh. Saber, and Animax. Uh, oh, in, okay. In the second panel, there's Sebastian Shaw, Celine. Oh, that's Sebastian Shaw. Okay. Celine M Plate. Never heard of that guy. That was a real dumb name. Uh, Exodus, <laughs> the Gorgon, and Callisto. Yeah. Oh, that's Exodus. Oh, I haven't uh, read a comic with him in twenty five years. It's cool that he's here. And then there, just he's behind pulling out all the deep cuts, man. <laughs> just behind Apocalypse is uh, Azazel, Mask, Black Tom Cassidy, Lady Mastermind, Frenzy, and Marrow. So this has really wild implications for the future of the X-Men because and 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 actually bigger than that it brings me back to a theory that I had a really long time ago. So there's here's my question for you guys. Of the X-Men that are present in this issue, how many of them do you think would feel comfortable in a room with Apocalypse? I'm sorry, you said of the, of the X-Men of the X-Men in in this issue how many okay. of them would feel comfortable in a room with Apocalypse? There's a simple answer. Zero. Right? Yeah, none. Nobody. Less, yeah. I mean, Wolverine even is skeptical. Yeah. But Wolverine is skeptical, right? That's yeah. what you said. Wolverine would cut his face if he saw Apocalypse without thinking. So what, what transpired that would allow... All of these X-Men to be cool was standing in a room with the same people who have killed them before. That's that's obviously the X factor here, pun intended, of what we we don't know. Uh and that's that's obviously the big thing is why is all of this happening? That's that's the that's the thing. But the, the the answer within the context of this issue is they're all united under a singular goal. And this is that vision of Xavier that's now becomes streamlined with Magneto, which has also now become streamlined with Apocalypse. Yeah, I, I think that's the interesting thing, right? Is like, I think going into this meeting, the three, you know, reps from our side of the, the mutant world who are talking, Charles, Magneto, and Wolverine, they're not comfortable. They're not sure that it's going to work, but they're taking the gamble, right? And like, I think like Magneto even saying like we need to hear the words and they have that swear and Apocalypse says <laughs> he says fuck well I mean, Apocalypse's whole thing is he's just like this is all I wanted from the start you know and if like we're all aligned in the singular vision that we can put aside yeah what, what does he say uh, and acknowledge from this day forward, we all serve a higher purpose than want or need. One people from this day forward. And that's everything here. That's what this is all about. Yeah, and uh, and before that, Apocalypse says, you have finally become what I intended you to be. I could not be more proud. Which is really ominous. Well, yeah, but yeah. that's the whole thing, right? It's like, there's at this point, what do they have to bicker over? I know. Like, the, the, the conflict between the X-Men and these other more extremist groups of mutants was that their methods were too extreme, and they wanted to try to achieve peaceful resolution. And that's out the window now. Now it's, we are a people, we are a species that are fighting for not just survival, but for our 
rightful place as the dominant species on the planet. And like at that point, like, like it's us, it's us against them. So why the fuck should they fight amongst each other anymore? I just don't see how Celine fits into that. I I don't get that. Celine is Celine is too dangerous, and 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 there's a few people here that are too dangerous. So it's really really interesting, and I I'm wondering if there's not more to this than meets the eye, um, because I just don't. I it's hard for me to believe that the X Men would be okay with that. But, um, th- this also explains the Deadly Alliance teaser that we saw a couple of weeks ago uh, for Incoming. Uh, it showed Professor X, Magneto, and Apocalypse, you know, together. This explains that. It also explains why Apocalypse is in the Excalibur series that's coming out. Yeah, it does. Um, yeah. He had been in the solicits for that, and now we know it's because they're on the same side. And interestingly, we know that they will be on the same side in Dawn of X. That this is not, you know, something that will change next issue. Right, yeah. This is like a long-term thing that we're going to be like dealing with ramifications of for you know at least a foreseeable publication future it's it's yeah. interesting because it's 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 combined you know 50 years of x-men storytelling where where the whole premise was you know we we can't we can't do some of the things that someone like mr sinister magneto or apocalypse would do we need peace but by not but by not any means necessary. We can't do that. And in this issue, we see it constantly, even in little ways. Like when we're shown the United Nations vote yeah. with 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 the with the with the primary members of the United Nations. And Xavier comments on the methods that Emma Frost uses to get the representative from Russia to abstain from voting. And she and thinks think- that she's good. I, I think that that uh, the fact that she abstains, that she makes the the that council member abstain, is also a very important um, both character piece for Emma, but also uh, uh, you know that council person. What do you think? Because it would that? it would be it would be stupid easy to just have her vote yes. Yeah, you're right. But there, I think there, there's probably a, a and it, it's listed in the next page with the exposition with like all the geopolitical belligerents that are still in the world. I think that's going to be a, probably a major thread going forward with these X titles that Hickman and others have going. But um, it, it, I think that's just the greater point for for the issue in, in isolation is that Xavier not only accepts that she did this. But he he exemplifies it in when she says that I should become a governor of a province. He says I you know I have much bolder things in mind. Right. So all it's, fifty it, years yeah. of conflict out the window for one singular purpose that that there 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 is no higher ground. This is the higher ground. I think the funny thing is too. This is such a interesting. Because, you know, again, we, we, we have made a lot of comparisons with Hickman to Morrison. And I think this book is so interesting because it does such a good job of, like, really honoring the history of the X-Men in a lot of very unique and specific ways. 
you know, and like pulling characters like Moira or Gold Balls, you know, who you might not have thought of or thought of as a joke and recontextualizing them and making them relevant and also pushing the brand in a direction it hasn't been before. You know, uh, we were talking about the Spider-Man book just before and saying how it feels trite. It feels been there, done that. This has not been there, done that. This is new and fresh with a group of characters that have almost as much publication history. So, like, it's uh, it's really interesting to me that it's gone in the direction that it has and that it's standing by what it's doing, that the ramifications of this event will actually matter going forward are crazy. So, speaking of honoring the publication history, there's actually a really cool moment. Um, it's not one that I personally caught because I wouldn't have been able to, uh, didn't know about this, but, um, some eagle-eyed and knowledgeable X-Men fans pointed out that in the scene where Storm is, you know, reintroducing these X-Men and saying, hey, they're back now, um, she goes up to Jean and says, you know, are, are, you know, are you you? And Jean says, I'm the only me that ever was. Uh, that's actually a callback to when the Phoenix, when Jean Grey comes back as the Phoenix from death the very first time. And Storm meets with her and says, are you you? And she says, I'm the only me that ever was. So <laughs> oh. it's a callback to an issue from, you know, over 20 years ago at this point. Uh, so what do those two panels do to your body? Hmm. Let's not talk about that. So uh, instead. Were you, were you mad that Nightcrawler's tail was in the way? Yes. Instead, let's talk about maybe the most interesting thing that no one's talking about, uh, which is one of the notes in the, you know, all the all the info dumps that we get. Uh, and it says it's, it's, it's talking about the process of resurrection. And it says, note, there has been no experimentation regarding what happens when you combine a mutant mind with a husk that is not their own. So husk here refers to the bodies that come out of gold balls, eggs. And the mind, of course, is, you know, the mind that's appropriate for that body. So the body looks like Cyclops, right? You put Cyclops mind in there. That's a perfect match. What happens if you put someone else's mind in there? Uh, there's nothing that Jonathan Hickman has done for no reason in this series, and I'm betting that somebody is not who we think they are, and I think I know who it is. Yeah. I. Hit who us. do you think it is? Oh, it's Xavier. Well, we know that already. That's we a know fact. What, that, he, that he is Xavier for a fact. No, that he's oh, oh, okay. that 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 body is not Xavier's body. Right. Yes. That's Phantom X's body. Right. And so if that's Phantom X's body, with that note in mind, something is incongruent. Right. But that, my thought was that um, it could be Cyclops. Uh, that Cyclops so. isn't who... Because I've been saying from forever that this is he doesn't act like Cyclops. Right, he's Not different the from the Cyclops we left off with, at least. The last, like, six years, eight years, nine years of Cyclops. Right. Um, that's just a theory. I think the ex exploration of Professor X's mind, now that he's in someone else's body, 
Especially because Phantom X has been a staple X-Men character for the last decade, well over a decade. I think that's something. I think that matters. Wasn't there an X-Men villain called Husk? Yes. I know that's a simple reach, but I just wanted to make sure I was thinking right. I I wonder if this um this callback to that Gene that Gene Gray moment between she and Storm could be something too, because uh also in those panels, uh Gene points out that Storm also recently died. And she uh she says the last thing she says in that panel is question is does that make us us right the thing the thing about that and and it, and it is interesting and i wonder if they're going to explore it is that storm died differently well unless they're referring to a more recent death that happened off screen that we don't know about storm died with a lot of other characters in that uh, age of x thing so that happened before all of this. And I'm wondering if that's a reference to that or a reference to a death that we don't know about. Because if that's the case, Storm wasn't resurrected by Charles. Storm was resurrected through other other means. So was everyone something, else that died at that time. There's something else that's curious that hasn't been addressed. Uh, there's a note on the very same page where they talk about the Proteus prom because when Proteus uses his prom, he mm. his body he starts to he, he burns himself up, and it later makes note that his backup is always created beforehand and it's used with the genetic base of Charles Xavier. So if it's used with the genetic base of Charles Xavier, why is Xavier in Phantom X's body? That also begs the question of it says that there's been no experimentation. When you put a mutant mind in a husk that's not their own, but that is that, right? Like they're making a husk based on Charles Xavier's body, not Proteus's. Well, Proteus is Xavier's son, so it would stand that they would have similar genetic tissue. Yeah, but why not just use his tissue? I don't, I don't know. He maybe he doesn't have it. Maybe not. I don't know. I, I'm not saying that that necessarily means something. But in the same way that Charles being in that the, this other body, like that is them explicitly saying that that's how that works, while also saying that it's never been done. So that might mean something. I'm not an expert on Proteus, but I'm pretty sure that Proteus, uh, from the limited knowledge that I have, has some problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the, he's Mc, Moyer McTaggart and Charles Xavier's son. Right, I'm pretty has, sure like, he has some issues. Frequent meltdowns, and I'm wondering if the reason that they that they do it that way is because, um, maybe maybe it has something to do with those issues. Sure, Charles can keep a bit more control over it. Right, mm. just throwing that out there. Mm. Um, but yeah, this this issue is full of revelations, and it's full of, um, just game changing material. And, and I don't want to lose sight of the fact that even though we're, we're talking about the things that happen, the actual nitty-gritty of the dialogue is brilliant. The mm-hmm. artwork yeah. is brilliant. Everything mm-hmm. is, 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 is phenomenally good. Uh, th- this creative team can do no wrong. I mean, when you look at what Pepe Larraz, I mean, this is incredible stuff. This is career-defining artwork. Yeah. And it has been the entire time. Yeah. 
Yeah, I uh, it it really can't be overstated what an achievement this book is. Yeah, uh, uh, Gracia continues to blow me away. I am so sad that he's not going to get to finish the job that he started because this yeah. book doesn't look the same with any other color artist. It just there's no way. Um, even Clayton Cowles is doing a great job uh, on lettering. You know, unsung hero. Like I just. There's nothing about this book that I don't like. It's all tremendous. I I don't even I hardly even know what else to say. Like I, like there's so much material here. Um but I just can't wait to see how this all resolves. One thing though actually now that I think about it that I've realized now that I didn't realize before. And it kind of sucks. Is that I thought that by the end of House of X and Powers of Ten, we would be at a place where everything that had been established here would be understood, revealed, and resolved. Nope. Yeah. That's not and true. Unfortunately, yeah, there's going to be some threads this, for sure. This is all set up for the ongoing. Yeah. And that's what Which I didn't, I didn't realize that this was set up. Yeah, and that, I guess, in one way is disappointing because I, I agree with you that I had that expectation. But at the same time, it actually makes me interested in pursuing the ongoing, which... That's the purpose. Right, and, like, that, I think, to me, is actually almost more attractive than if this was just a good, complete event, is if it actually gets me back on the train for a monthly X-Men title with this, you know, creative vision behind it. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't suggest that after the 12 issues, Jonathan Hickman would be done. What I mean is, like, we would understand and resolve the mystery of... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so now those threads are going to are gonna continue on, and it's going to be really interesting to see how how that plays out. And what is the, X, what is the role of the X-Men in a world where they're no longer the minorities... Uh, they're no longer, you know, hated and feared in the same way. They have their own nation, you know, unto themselves. That's a whole different X-Men than we've really ever seen. Um, Ed Brubaker did did something kind of like that during his run where he took them to the West Coast and all that. And yeah. they had their island. Um, but this feels bigger and, and, and different than that, even though it's a very, very similar concept. So, it all remains to be seen. Uh, we've got two more to go. No, three more to go. Yeah, three more overall to go. Yeah. So, man, New York Comic Con weekend is going to be a big show because uh, <laughs> Powers of X drops that week. We have the show, obviously, we've got Comic Con, and then we've got Joker that weekend, too. So, going to be busy boys. We live uh, in a nation. Just real quick, the Krakoan uh, at the end uh, for Powers of X uh, reads for the children, and then for the next issue of House of X reads, I am not ashamed of what I am. Hmm. Very interesting. That's very, very interesting. Um, yeah, I, I think that's, that's a, as good a place as any to end. Uh, ominous, as always, are those uh, those you know Krakoan language teasers. I wish that we had 
Like, you know, when you watch a TV show and it ends, it's like, oh, next time on Lost, right? I wish we had (laughs) that for this. Give me Um, a tease. Yeah. But, uh, and it's I funny because normally I hate that crap, but this is like the one thing I want it for. It's like, give me any scrap of clue that I can pull on here, please. I was I annoyed wish... when I got to the end. <laughs> I wish we could end with these uh, Krakoan one-liners. How can we? By going to a little place called the Plugs. Oh, all right. Look, you've got your so... own transition now. Uh, for the pals, uh, if you want to talk to us about, you know, House of X, Powers of Ten, uh, the incoming Joker movie, you know, New York Comic Con, any of that cool stuff, we're going to be having Victor Dandridge on the show next week, so if you've got questions for him, you can shoot those our way. There's plenty of things that you can talk to us about. Uh, we have a variety of interests, so you can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com to speak to us. Or you can hit us up on social media, at the Comics Pals, wherever your social media is sold. Uh, if you want to find us on a new podcast hosting platform, just type in the Comics Pals, and we will most likely pop up. If we don't, let us know, and we'll get on there for you guys. And, of course, uh, while you're at it, make sure to leave us a like, a rating, a review, uh, subscribe to us, and share us with your friends. Um, all that stuff's free to do, and it helps us out a lot more than it costs you, so, you know, hook us up. Uh, we have a, some... a, a new thing coming out this week, don't we? Mm, yeah, no, I don't think we do. do Friday, we? right? Book club? No, nah, our book clubs oh, yeah. come out on Tuesdays. But Tuesday. uh, actually, you are still right. We do have a book club coming out this Tuesday. Uh, it is Silver Surfer, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so Tuesday check for that. Also, we Marco and I did an interview with the creative team behind Broken Bear. So you can check that out on Monday when this drops as well. Uh, so lots of great content for you guys to consume. So be sure to check all that out. We've got lots of other great book clubs. Long list. You guys can find it. Let's get into the plugs. Pete. Thank you guys for joining us here in another episode of The Comics Pals. If you want to connect with me, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter or Instagram. You can find uh, my, some of my other work over at LootPots.com where I host their weekly Nintendo podcast, The Potscast, as well as our patron-exclusive show, After Dark. Uh, so if you want some more podcasting for me, go check that stuff out. To keep up with any other stuff I have going on, you can go visit me at PeteAndBessie.com. Kale. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at TotoInto. That's T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W. I also have a website with my name on it. It's kaleward.com, C-A-L-E-W-A-R-D.com. Where you can find the podcast that I do with my wife called Gone Global. Uh, this week we're talking about movies, and uh, we made the terrible mistake of juxtaposing Spice World, you know, the Spice Girls movie, with oh, Cool yeah. Hand Luke. <laughs> That what? that's that's a pairing. <laughs> yeah, so uh that's gonna be fun. Here's my old man bullshit. That's you. Boy, that's how she felt too. <laughs> <laughs> uh you can find Marco at Mr. Marco Animoto. Tell him how cool uh independent comics are and uh let him know what independent comic scene you wanna see him at, because he'll freaking go. Phil. Well, I'm like these two boys. I don't have a website, so if you go to philcasey.com, I don't know what will happen. Um, 
often if you Google those two names together, Google thinks it's two separate names because they're both first names. So that's a whole other thing. Uh, as for me, you can find me on all social media platforms at Cyborg Bebop. Uh, and you can uh, check out my Instagram story where I, uh, uh, I'm going to be making lasagna this week. That's not Riveting true. Riveting and exciting. Oh, wow. <laughs> and also a lie. Crazy. <laughs> As for me, you can catch me on Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox. Hit me up if you'd like to talk about House of X. And with that, we're the Comics Pals signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week. Hey, it's Jersey Batman! Am I too late for the anniversary? Aw, beans, I'm here for it! Yours is so much better than mine. (laughs) You guys want to gamble in Atlantic City? I'm Jersey Batman! Hanging out with Pete and Bessie, my Jersey bro! I'll, I'll, I'll kill you. All right, Jersey!